Hey guys, it is Jason, your host with Whatsoever is True. Uh, great to be back with you. And as always, we're going to jump right into stuff. We eschew all of the, the fanfare, all the other stuff. So I get right to the point, which is what you need. We need to get scripture front and center in our lives. Uh, the, the thing that should be always on the the lips of every Christian is what the scriptures say. What does God say about reality? What does God say about these facts? That's exactly what we need in this or any time. And today's subject is really the greatest, most dangerous sin that is conf- that's constantly confronting us, and, and that is covetousness and idolatry. Now, I'm going to go to Colossians 3, 5, which is talking about, you know, put to death, therefore, the you know, basically your earthly nature. And that, that those things that are worldly within you, your sexual immorality comes to mind instantly for most people. And, and it almost seems as if the church is uh, thinks that's the only problem out there. But, uh, you know, impurity, lust, evil desire, and covetousness, which the Bible says then, ready for it, is idolatry. Now, this is where these sins are so dangerous because it's pretty obvious that sexual lust is a big problem. And a lot of a lot of us are you know are aware of that and are fighting that battle and that's a tough battle in the flesh. But well, the one that goes under the radar, and I think is more dangerous because of it. You know, it's always more dangerous if you have an enemy that you don't acknowledge, you don't realize you have an enemy. That's a tough enemy to deal with because you don't even know he's your enemy. Well, it, that is idolatry and covetousness. Now. Idolatry, we kind of think of here in the New Testament era in America, we think, well, idolatry is bowing down in front of statues. I don't do that, so I'm fine. But it's much more subtle than that. It is basically to say whatever your deepest heart allegiance is to, whatever you think you can't live without, whatever you think you must have or else you can't be happy, that would be something that's an idol. An idol is any earthly thing or possession or what have you that takes the place of the deepest affection in your heart. And that's why covetousness is idolatry. Because covetousness often comes from, I want this thing. And in America, it's oftentimes wealth. It's oftentimes a bigger house. How often have you done that? How often have you obsessed about, I've got to get this newest gadget? You know, the latest iPhone or the latest computer. Or I've got to take that vacation. Or I've got to have that car. If only I could achieve this, if only I got to achieve that. When we think of the, the how ruinous is the success of certain people, let's say Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, Prince, look, look at the individuals that have achieved everything that they've that we would think we want in life and what it does to them spiritually. It's very unfulfilling. It's considered to be the hedonistic paradox, right? If we don't get what we want, we're frustrated constantly. And if we do, we're bored and self-destructive with it. So... Let's talk about this. Let's go, let's take a look at it biblically, and I'm going to bring you to Luke chapter 12, and beginning in verse 13, it's known as the parable of the rich fool. Now, do recall, of course, that the Bible never just calls people fools in a name-calling sense. It's the, it's the biblical definition of unbelief and acting upon the principle of unbelief. Foolishness is not a name-calling thing. It is a clinical definition, God's definition of anyone acting on the principles and the standards of human autonomy and unbelief. So here we go. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, 
Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I'll pause there for a second. <clears throat> That's an amazing line. For one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. Ladies and gentlemen, we know this, right? We know this. But how hard is it to live on this simple truth? As Mark Twain said once, or is reputed to have said, that it's not the difficult, vague passages of Scripture that vex me. It's the all too obvious ones. He means it's this. It's hard to live on it. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Other translations might say bountifully and so forth, but that's an interesting line. The land of a rich man produced. We can work really hard and still, like you go back to Ecclesiastes 11, cast your bread upon many waters because you don't know what's going to be effective, this or that. And so that is part of life in a fallen world. We don't know. We always want to have that absolute knowledge, but we but we can't have it. If we did have it, it's going to give us pride, which is exactly what the, the issue is of sin. So it's good that we don't know and we have faith. The object of Christian life is faith, not God-like powers. God has those powers. We need to understand that. So the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the American dream right there. Notice this guy, how often he says, what shall I do? He thought to him, himself. He didn't pray. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. <clears throat> that's what we want, right? That's security. See, that's covetousness right there. This, this is a very, uh, this is an amazing passage because this guy gets what most of us think we want. Notice when we go to prayer, when we go to prayer a lot of times, it's not with thanksgiving, it's with this fretful nature of, Lord, deliver me from, from not having ultimate security. But you have ultimate security in Christ, right? We're thinking that our material standing is our security. Now, I'm not saying, saying that we shouldn't pray over material things. We'll get to that. But watch how this guy thinks everything is his, not God's. And then that, of course, is definitely a representation of what's going on in his heart. So <clears throat> we go to verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Once again, who owns everything? God. And it is a complete foolish error of epic proportions to live our lives as if, A, there's no God, and B, it's all ours. For example, again, this guy is, is, is introduced saying the land produced plentifully for him. So if you're, if you're in some line of work, and I've known people, I actually had somebody tell me a while back that his goal was to become a multimillionaire by the time he was 25 or 30, and that's he was going to do this, 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 and that was his big goal in life. 
His goal wasn't to serve. His goal wasn't to know the Lord. That wasn't his goal. His goal was purely financial. He didn't care how he got it. He had all these schemes on how to get a business and then sell it. That was his whole thing. He didn't want to produce anything. He wanted to sell it so he can get the money. Even though the Apostle Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And actually, he uses the word kakos in there, which is where we would get the word uh, for like excrement. In it. You can actually add a harder, harsher word, if you will, to that. That was the Apostle Paul's point, the Holy Spirit's point. The love of money, which is the love of the unearned. It's because it's idolatry. It's your heart saying, I will have security on my terms if I have stuff. I don't have to worry. Notice that's always there. And then so the Lord doesn't just drop it there. He goes on to say, and this is how we know we have a problem. This is how he defines it. Verse 22 picks up. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For your life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Okay, so once again, it's easy to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear it all the time. And I've known many people. I'm sure you have too. Say, well, life is more important than money. But then listen to what they say, listen to what they talk about, listen to what virtues they extol in people, and you'll watch yourself doing the same thing. For out of our mouth comes what's in our heart, right? What we talk about is what's on our minds. What our minds thinking about is what we are, what we believe in, or what we deeply want. So therefore, in this case, the Lord says, it's interesting, isn't it? He, in, he inserts anxiety, he connects it to covetousness and idolatry. So if you find yourself anxious all the time about your money, about your life and all this sort of thing, you're not trusting the Lord. It's as simple as that. You're not trusting the Lord. You're trying to find some scheme or some way to get out of Dodge. You're playing the lottery all the time. You're trying to do something to alleviate a temporal, an overall metaphysical issue with a temporal solution. You're trying to solve a sin problem and sin problem is relying on yourself rather than relying on God. And you're trying to solve it with, a, with stuff. That's why covetousness is so dangerous. Because nobody thinks, oh, it's easier to say, don't use bad words. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Like if you stub your toe, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Um, <clears throat> you know, don't go to certain movies. Don't, don't do certain things, etc. And that's, and that's modern Christian uh, you know, Phariseeism. Of if I don't do these things, then I'm okay. But what is your heart? If you are anxious a lot, it goes to show you that you're not resting in the Lord. That something else is your primary, your primary belief and your primary love. So then he goes on to say, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do so as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And that's a sobering thing. You can't add an hour to your life. I don't, if you've ever been to a funeral and you really, really love somebody and you lost them, you, you can't add an hour to life. You, we, we don't have the power. And, and, and here the Bible says, you, you can't do so small a thing as that. You can't even add an hour to life, <laughs> much less save from death, right? And so that's a smaller thing. So why are you anxious about the rest of them? 
Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags and do not, that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where the, your treasure is, there will your heart be also." couple of things to say for this. <clears throat> right after that, he says, there's a break in, the, in most Bibles that then goes to verse 35. It says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Um, this is all connected. I mean, anxiety. It's too, there's just so much stuff to unpack here. But let's, let's remember, when you hear, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. When he says... And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Again, he's connecting the emotion of anxiety and worry to your deepest heart commitment. It is a commandment, just like the thou shalt not commit adultery, to not worry and not be anxious. It's a commandment. So if you find yourself anxious and worried all the time, the way to deal with this is first recognize that it's a sin. You're not trusting in the Lord. I mean, imagine how offended you'd be if your spouse or you really love me are you cheating on me are you then you're not doing anything right you'd be you'd be somewhat offended i can't believe that you would think i'd do that do you understand the context of this relationship here god has provided for you he's provided for me that's what he's saying consider the birds and you're so much more valuable than that which by the way obliterates the notion that we're just animals not to say that we should be abusive to animals, but clearly we're much more valuable than they. The Lord tells us that. And if he's taking care of them, how much more will he take care of you? He died for you. He died for your sin. We know how this ends. We don't know. It's, an, it's a wonderful and beautiful mystery of how we'll get to the kingdom. But we shouldn't be worried. That's what he's saying. He's not telling you to, he's using a bit of hyperbole. He says, sell all your possessions. You need, we, we need shelter. We need clothing. We need food to live. And we should be responsible with these with these things. But they are treasures from God. We are stewards. These are ultimately the Lord's. That's what started this. Don't forget the, the rich fool. These things are the Lord's, not ours. So when you say, oh, mine, 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 and I'll be happy if I get a bigger house. I'll be happy if I get uh, more property value. I'll be happy if I get more stocks. I'll be happy if I get this job or that job. I'll be happy if I get that car. I'll be happy if I get that vacation. Anything is, anything is going. You're not happy right now in the Lord. You're not content in the Lord. It's robbing you of your spiritual joy and peace. Worry is the biggest sin in Christendom, I believe. And it's, and it's upon us because we're fundamentally covetous, because we're fundamentally idolatrous. Man, the Luther had said that, that the mind is an idol factory, and so it is. So he says, you know, your father knows that you need these things, right? But seek the kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Like Solomon going to the Lord asking for wisdom. And the Lord says, since you didn't ask for the life of your enemies, and you didn't ask for... Uh, you know, riches and all this other stuff, but for wisdom, 
I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you material possessions because those are his. This is the way to keep from overworking. This is the way to have balance in your life. Slow, incremental success. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. Your goal isn't to make money, ladies and gentlemen. Your goal is faith. Your goal is to glorify the Lord in anything you do. If he's given you a talent, use it. Use it for the glory of God. Serve other people with it. You're here to serve. Now, you can serve in a number of ways. You can serve by selling shoes. You can serve by, by uh, you know, teaching. You can serve by uh, doing things for people. You can serve by being being a general contractor. You can serve by being a mechanic. You can serve by being a driver. Anything, a delivery man, anything. If you do it in the name of the Lord, that is now a sacred, holy thing. One of the great errors in church today is that is a, is a heresy, really, of clericalism. And that is that there's, there's the, cl- the clerics, the, the, the pastors and all those guys, they're professional Christians. You're just like an amateur. It's all the work of the Lord. It's all your entire life is a living sacrifice. And you trust him for everything, right? We don't, go, we don't go seeking after our bread, our daily bread, on our own terms. The goal isn't to make money at all costs. Try to find some scheme. You know, when you talk about day traders and you talk about people who are just doing things just to make money, not to be productive, not to try to create a win-win scenario. And this brings us into that with, with whatever it might be in your life, which is why socialism is evil and free markets are, are godly. And it's, it's a book of Proverbs about being industrious because an industrious person is creating a win-win scenario and you're forced to serve somebody. So if you go, let's say you, uh, you're a, well, I'll just give it, give it to this. Let's say you're a mechanic and somebody brings their car in and they, and they want to, they want you to fix their car and you're thinking, wow, I can do this, that other thing and add cost to this so that I make even more money. The Lord will remember that on judgment day. That's a dishonest scale. It could be the same thing if you're selling stocks, insurance or anything. Your job is to serve somebody in the Lord, not to make money. But if somebody comes in and they want you to fix it for free, well, that's a win-lose. If you charge them too much money, again, it's a win-lose the other way. It's a win-win. You're always looking for a win-win. Here's another one. How many Christians do you know that talk about what a great deal they had where they sort of like, you know, it was a steal. And you become very jaded, like I'm trying to get one over on people. That's covetousness. The goal isn't godly service. It's That's greed. And greed is so evil and so dangerous because we don't notice it, right? So that's the American way. Try to make as much money. Remember Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. Greed is good. No, 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 no. Greed is evil, the Bible says. But production, how many times do you hear another one about American economy? It's a consumer economy. That's terrible. That's a terrible way to look at life. It's not a consumer economy. Your job is to bear fruit for the, for the glory of God. And if you don't, what's going to happen is that you're going to be part of those flowers of the field that are burned up. So if you're living a life of worry, it's because you're under the influence of covetousness and you're not dealing with it, the deepest heart conviction. So be honest with that and remember how important it is for you to live for the glory of God and to have faith in Him. That's the key. Have faith in the Lord that He will provide for you. That's exactly what He's saying here. The antidote to this kind of anxiety and worry, is to trust in the Lord. So then go to Him and pray and give thanks for those things you have all the time. 
and then bring your petitions to him. If you've got a problem with somebody, if you've got a problem with your finances, if you have a problem here or there, bring that to him. But remember, the context is that the Lord will provide. And you will be, you will be, because you're so much more valuable than the flowers and the birds and so forth, you will be taken care of. That is, that is the antidote to worry and anxiety. Now, I'm not going to get into antidepressants and so forth and, and so on, but one of the, the, the most prescribed medication in, in, in the United States, as I understand it, is antidepressants. People are on antidepressants because they don't, a lot of them, there's are clinical areas, but I'll say a majority of them could be avoided if people prayed properly in the Lord and, and they relied on Him for everything. So, in, in summation, that's the key to it. We don't, we don't want to live our lives foolishly trying to attain earthly goods, living for earthly goals that pass away. Think about the things that you have. You look around and you, and you think about how, how you wanted something so badly and now you, then you get it. It didn't change you. It didn't fix all the problems in your life. Jesus Christ does. The cross of Jesus Christ fixes the big problem, the judgment of sin hanging over us, death. We don't have that in Christ. There is, therefore, now no condemnations for us who are in Christ. So we, we rejoice in that. We give thanks to God, and we give thanks to God if we take a sip of coffee. We eat. Uh, uh, we have a great meal. Um, uh, a long while ago with my son, we sat down for a uh, lunch. It was just a meager, as you say, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, basically, we made that day. That's Dad's, Dad's great cooking. We gave thanks. And I looked at him and said, you know, are you, do you feel a little like embarrassed sometimes to give thanks for like a sandwich? And he was honest. And he said, yeah, actually. And we got talking about how just having a meal that you know is coming is rather, in world history, kind of an anomaly. And we just sit down. We can, in America, even the poor get to eat pretty much whenever they want. That's an amazing blessing. So look around you for the blessings that you have and give thanks to God always, rejoicing in Christ. And then bring your petitions to him. And then if you are worried, deal with the root of that worry, which is, which is sin. It's covetousness and idolatry. And, and ask the Lord that you trust him and rely on him totally, completely, with unbelievable abandonment. That doesn't mean, again, that you stop going to work. That's, that's, that is the other, the flip side of that. That's presumptuousness. No, do your thing. Go serve people in the Lord. And don't worry about how much money you make. Be responsible. Seek the Lord. Give him glory for all things and he will make straight your paths. Okay, so we'll wrap it up. Hopefully this was edifying for you. Uh, you know, love the subject. There's so much to say about that passage. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, that, that whole section of Luke 12. And, and again, we'll pray that the Heavenly Father blesses all of us and blesses us with a spirit of peace and wisdom and joy and comfort and security in Christ, and that, and that the Lord impresses upon all of us that we are His, and, and no one can snatch us out of His hand, and that He will deliver us to that distant shore, to the kingdom of heaven, holy and blameless, through the work of Christ, by faith alone, so that no man, none of us may boast. And we pray that the Lord keeps us from looking at the worldly things as if they are ultimate things. But we, whatever worldly things we have, we realize that they were blessings from God, and we seek in gratitude to work with our talents towards the glory of God and the service of our neighbor. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.